0: Welcome to the Good Endeavor Short-Term Rental Show. I am so pleased to let you guys know that I have Ryan Bakey on the podcast with us today. Ryan is actually a CPA by trade. He's turned into an investor, a coach, a syndicator, incredible, incredible guy, always has an ear to the ground, incredible coach. We could all learn a ton from Ryan. Um, So enjoy today's show. We are helping owners create cash flow and pay down their mortgage, while our guests feel like a millionaire for the time that they stay with us. It's no secret that focusing on others' outcome ultimately leads to more income for you and your company. Welcome to the Good Endeavor Short-Term Rental Show. Brian Bakey, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Mark, thanks for having me. You are definitely welcome. After that big introduction, um, people might think that you've always been a rock star in this space, but maybe tell a little little story about your background on kind of where you grew up and how you got into accounting. And then ultimately, how did you land in some of the real estate and and wealth management consulting space?
1: Yeah, I went to school for accounting and finance. Those are the two degrees that I have. I kind of knew early on that I was pretty good at math, but I didn't like trigonometry or calculus or anything, but I was really good at obviously the four things, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. And that's the only math that you need to do to be in real estate, I promise. It's You learn it all in the fifth grade. Uh, but I went to School for accounting and Finance and I enjoyed kind of understanding what makes the world go around and how these businesses operate. And so really good in-depth understanding of a profit and loss statement and of course, that's going to vary depending on business to business. So whether you're, you know, selling a product or a service, or you're renting out space, those profit and losses look a lot differently. So I went to work at Deloitte right out of college, and I did management consulting for big investment banks. So think Morgan Stanley, uh, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, like you name it. We probably work with them. And I, I realized about a year and a half into that that I was really helping people who were already super well-off, rich and wealthy, become even more rich and wealthy. And I decided that I wanted to help not the everyday person, but I wanted to help the person in their family that's going to change their family tree. So I had left Deloitte to do my consulting business full-time. And so you know, fast forward a few years later, I, I run four different businesses in the real estate space. So I have a real estate tax consulting firm. So we help investors make decisions about their portfolios from a tax perspective. I have an education business where you know, people who are not at that level yet, they can take a course or they can check out some of my online content. I obviously do guest speaking and events, and that's kind of how we met. And then, lastly, I also do real estate syndication. So, four different businesses in the real estate field, and that's kind of how I got into it. I, I really wanted to help people change their family tree.
0: That's awesome, man. So, would you say that's what drives you? Kind of at the your light at the end of the tunnel. If you can have a positive influence on as many people's life from a generational wealth standpoint is is that what drives you
1: Yeah and I think that you know I was talking to somebody the other day who was just starting their business kind of getting burned out from W2 and I told them you know at the end of the day you have to find out what your purpose is in business because if you're just chasing and driving for profit that's where your your morals are going to fall because if, if you're not aligned with your purpose and what you feel that you've been called to do, you're, just, you're chasing that bottom line. So I realized that this is what I want to do. This is how much time I want to spend doing it per week. These are the types of people that I want to help. And then to what capacity am I able to help people? So I was explaining this to somebody. I can take a, a video or a post or tweet something. And within a day, 30,000 people are going to be able to see it that are across all my networks between my Facebook groups, email list, Twitter, Instagram, you know, I can have 30,000 people see what I have to say within 24 hours. And so I'm able to help people, you know, broadly like that. But then also in the consulting firm, it's mostly one-on-one support handholding. So it really depends. But at this capacity, I'm able to help people who are just starting off and I'm able to help people who have very big portfolios.
0: I love it. I mean, you have such a unique background. A lot of times you see CPAs and they're, they stay in their box. They kind of stay in their lane. They're like, Hey, I'm the yes and no guy. But it sounds like you're like the perfect business attorney who understands business. You know, you're, you're the perfect accountant who also understands the business side of it because you are an investor. You do raise money. You do offer education on all of that as well as just accounting. So it's a, very unique mix that you offer.
1: Yeah. And and that's what it's it's funny because one of my mentors, he says there's the CPA version of Ryan and then there's the investor friendly version of Ryan. And they might have two different answers depending on who you talk to. But I mean, it is true. There's sometimes I'll look at somebody's profit and loss statement while I'm reviewing their tax return and I'll say something, hey, you have a property in the Smoky Mountains. Where's your pest control bill? I know you have to pay somebody to get all the spiders and and varmints and stuff out of that cabin where's your oh yeah i paid six hundred dollars for that last year didn't see it in the financial statements but i know because of an investor i know what it takes to run these these operations and i know what type of expenses that are made up another thing on the deal analysis side that i help people with is i'll look at somebody's pro forma and i have my own sort of iterations of how i look at that but within two minutes i can probably tell you if it's going to work out or not just based on really three key principles that I look at. And I don't know if you care for me to explain, but there's three things that I look at in a short-term rental deal. So the first the first item is gonna be a gross revenue to purchase price ratio. So typically 15 to 20% of, of the purchase price, you need to do that in gross revenue. So if I'm buying a million dollar property, I need, to, I need to get somewhere between the 150 to $200,000 range when it comes to gross revenue, right? So if you could check that box, that's box number one. Number 2, I'm allocating about a 40 to 45% expense ratio before debt service. So, if I'm let's say I'm collecting a $100,000 gross revenue, I have $45,000 going towards my operating expenses. I'm now left with 55,000 before debt service. Okay? Hmm. That's going to be my net income before debt service.
0: Those those expenses are cleanings and insurance and break-fix and stuff like that?
1: Everything, yeah, taxes, insurance, everything except mortgage interest and mortgage principal.
0: Gotcha. And,
1: and then lastly, the debt service portion, typically you don't want your mortgage payment principal and interest to be more than about 30% of whatever your monthly income is. So if you can check those three boxes, you're going to have that, that rental that's probably going to cash flow at least 20%. And it's going, to be a, it's going to be a good investment for you. Now, how much it does cash flow, it, it's going to depend on how, you know, your startup costs and what do you have to put in that property. But the thing to understand is math works in all 50 states. So whether or not you're in California or, or Florida, you shouldn't let that sort of cost of living there sway your decision because at the, end of, at the end of the day, it's still numbers. And so that's kind of how I like to look at pro formas.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, which brings us to a, a good topic um where do you where do you like to invest personally in strs is there any one market that you try to get scale or is or is it hey look these are the numbers the numbers are the numbers in all 50 states i'm going to go where the deal is not where the location obviously you got to think about things like like city ordinances what just happened to dallas and stuff like that but that aside are you just kind of like hey i'm not married to any one place
1: yeah, I'm definitely not married to any one place. In fact, I only have two properties in, in one city out of my total eight investments. So I'm not necessarily married to one particular city. I, I'm more so looking at it from, a, like you said, a risk mitigation standpoint. So I wouldn't want to have all five properties in the same neighborhood in the Smokies because there could be a fire or I wouldn't want to have all five properties in a city because they might ban short-term rentals. Now they're not going to ban short-term rentals in the Smoky Mountains, but in these cities like a Dallas or a Vegas or you know they might, they and they will, they did mm-hmm. right. So you could, you can. There's risk mitigation because of regulations, but there also could be risk mitigation because of cash flow seasonality. So if you have all your investments in one particular place, there's going to be assuming there's going to be some slow season to that, and so that could mean you know my first three investments. I wasn't making any money in the winter because I had mostly lake houses, and so I then invested in places that did produce cash flow in the winter to kind of true up my overall earnings, you know, throughout the year. So there could be a risk mitigation play, there could be a cash flow play, but then you know it's also a peace of mind play. Do you want to have a two, you know one one and a half million dollar property in Hilton Head, Carolina, where uh, a a hurricane can come take it down or would you rather have three $500,000 properties strategically dispersed across America, right? We've, we've helped clients do both. We've helped clients go from a million and a half asset to three $500,000 assets, but we have also helped people go from three, 500000 up into that 2 million or that million dollar property. And that's a whole different conversation because then you're getting into what we call ROH return on hassle, which, you know, what is, what is worth your actual time? Because I'll give you my best performing property, which is the property I was telling you about before we got on the podcast. Cash on cash return is 75%. But when I look into the fact that I only have $30,000, $40,000 in the deal, you know, I'm not really making that much. I'm not making that much money, but the cash on cash is there. But my return on hassle, the amount of time that I have to spend in relation to how much I'm making, is not there. So I've also kind of, you know, trained and helped investors hopefully earlier on than they would have themselves realized that and to see if, if what's really worth your time, because I'll give you one more example of a doctor client and they bring in $800,000 a year between the, between the two of them. And their plan is, Hey, we're going to buy, we're going to buy however many rentals we need to be able to replace our full W2 income of 800,000. And I said, okay, let, let's, let's look at what you got. They had one property making 25,000 and they had one property making $15,000 a year net. I was like, all right, if you do this 20 more times, you'll be there. And they're like, what? I was like, well, yeah, look, look at your numbers. At at one point, you have to, you know, either be a better investor and buy better properties, or you have to scale up, right? You have to go after those bigger deals. And typically, once you get over that million dollar, I would say 1.2 now, uh, once you get over that million dollar mark, there's a, your overall cash flow that you're making is going to go up. But your cash on cash return typically goes down that the the more millions you attach onto it because single family homes have a cap there's a cap there's a price that somebody's willing to pay for a nightly rate and you just get capped the higher the purchase price amount you go so that's where once you get in that million above range your cash on cash is probably going to go down but your overall cash flow is going to go up and the, and that's trying to the difference that I try to teach investors
0: yeah that's interesting you said something at the beginning of that um that kind of stood out to me like three half-million-dollar properties versus one one and a and dollars property. And obviously, you spread out risk if you have those in three different geographic locations. But just like some of the, the big multifamily guys, like if you have one big property, you have one roof to maintain, one kitchen to maintain, one set of appliance, one like yep. a lot fewer HVAC units. So potentially, depending on where it is, you know, if it's beachfront, obviously your operational expenses are going to be higher. Um, your insurance is going to be higher, but generally speaking, if they're in the similar geographic locations, your operational expenses for a much larger unit would probably be a little less. And so, I'm guessing when you you were explaining like once you get over a million and you get to one and a half and two and three, then your cash on cash goes down. You're you're considering all that, obviously.
1: Yeah. And I mean that's a good point because I'll tell you my my dream and my you know my goal is at the end of the day to bundle up my entire portfolio and have it in one one pill thing just one property like one big 128 unit apartment building that I own or you know something that's throwing off forty fifty thousand dollars a month of income because like you said I only want to worry about one one roof one contracting team one you know set of, of cleaners right and so that. Ideally to me, that's, that's financial freedom. A lot of people get into this and unfortunately kind of back to the personal finance, they fall into that lifestyle creep trap. And we've seen people do that where they're making an extra three, $4,000 a month on Airbnb. And now they're just spending, they're spending that difference and they're never really stacking it to be able to buy the next one. We call it lifestyle creep or lifestyle inflation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Any, um, do, would you mind kind of you, you, you do some alternative investments too, like outside of the short-term rental space. And so, but it can also be considered short-term rental. Like we, you mentioned before we started recording the podcast, some campgrounds that you guys have started investing in. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That's, that's super interesting.
1: Yeah, they're definitely a different asset class. A lot of people talk about them and the opportunities there are a lot more than your short-term rental. So first off, because they're typically zoned commercial or they're campgrounds, they essentially bypass most of the short-term rental regulations. So you can have campgrounds in areas that don't allow short-term rentals because of how they're zoned. Campgrounds have been around for dozens and dozens of years. These new short-term rentals, the the cities don't really see campgrounds as a threat more so that they do see the short-term rentals. So from a regulation standpoint, you're a little bit safer there on a campground perspective or an RV park perspective than you are a single-family home, short-term rental perspective. I will say the the trap or the pitfall is when you have assets that are hard to be collateralized with a bank, so you might have glamping tents or RV trailers or mobile homes, anything that can basically get picked up by a tornado and, and flown away, the, the banks are going to give you a hard time when you go to lend on them. So that so that is one of the hiccups that we've had to you know overcome is you typically either have to have a mo- a really big money partner in the deal who's going to personally guarantee a lot of that those assets or you're going to have to get creative with the financing you're going to have to do a portion of seller financing SBA loans on these deals so the financing is going to get tough regulations are good but here's here's where it, it gets interesting is because for example, in this town that we have ours in, a single-family home would cost you three hundred dollars to $320,000 to get a $280,000, $300,000 nightly rate. We can put up a tent or an RV park, a tent that's going to cost us $30,000, but we can rent that for $150,000, 160 dollars a night, which is a little bit less than half the ADR of a $300,000 property. So we could have 10 tents for the cost of one house. and. You can imagine that at scale. But more why I like these alternative investments is because they're going to trade at cap rates at the end of the day. So it makes it a lot easier to get your investors' money out of those deals and back to them or to get that property refinanced. Because on a single-family, short-term rental home perspective, if, if you have a million-dollar property and you're looking, let's say you bought it with investors and you're looking to pay them out, you're basically banking on the cash flows from that property, which is not going to be enough to pay that their initial investment off. I'll give you an example in a little bit, or you're banking on the appreciation of that property to go, you know, the appreciation of that property in order to refinance, to get your investors money out. So it'd be like, let's say you're going to give me $200,000 to go buy a million dollar property, 20% cash on cash. I'm going to make 40 grand a year on that, on that deal. I got to pay you interest. I probably got to pay you 10% on your 200 grand. So I make forty grand a year. I'm paying you twenty grand. Where am I getting this money to originally to pay back your two hundred thousand bucks? It's just not there in the single family home space or short term rental space, but in these RV parks and glamping, you know, alternative assets that they're based on net operating income. So if you can boost the net operating income up, you can trade at a cap rate and back into a purchase price that or a a appraisal value that'll allow you to refinance and get your investors' money out quicker, way quicker than you would in a short term rental. I would not even raise I would not even raise capital for a short term rental deal because of those because of that economics and math, but I would definitely raise money for an alternative investment
0: deal. Man, I've got so many questions. Okay. So when you say tent, my family just got back from Page, Arizona, where they went to Antelope Canyon and then they went to Zion National Forest and they stayed in this place called Under Canvas. Have you heard of Under Canvas? No. Under Canvas is in a lot of national parks, but they're basically yurts, but they have like running water and electricity inside of them. Is mm-hmm. that what you're talking about? Yep, talking? exactly. So you've yeah. got like a little, a little deck out front and it's, uh, it's like a full kind of sleeping space, like what you would picture in Africa or something, right?
1: Yeah, there's three or four costs inside of it. Uh, sleeping space, running water, electric. Yep, exactly.
0: That's great. And so do you mind kind of going through the numbers of one of those? So you said the ADR, which is for the audience, that's the average daily rate, is about 150 bucks to Mm -hmm. rent one of those. Um, Typically, like in your specific scenario, how many nights is that renting? So you got $30,000 into this thing. It rents Mm for $150 a night. How How many nights is it renting? Yeah, we we normally
1: pencil our occupancy in at about 38%, 38 to 40% based at least on this deal. That's what we that's what and and you can do things especially in the wintertime, to kind of push that occupancy higher by either, you know, offering heat, a heated indoor pool or give them reasons to kind of extend what we call that shoulder season of 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 having people at these properties because like I mentioned before with the lake houses You know, in the winter, it nobody wants to go there because it's cold and the lake's frozen over, obviously. But yeah, you would say one hundred and fifty dollars a night ADR, and if you did forty percent occupancy, and I don't, I wish I had my Excel in in my head, but you're talking, you're talking a hundred and you know, you're talking days rented at one hundred and fifty dollar nightly rate. You're talking, you're talking about twenty three, twenty four thousand gross revenue per year per
0: yeah on a thirty thousand dollar initial investment. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I and mean, then I would, I I would have to think that your maintenance, I mean, is your maintenance less? I mean, it seems like fewer things could go wrong than a house.
1: Yeah, exactly. So the maintenance, I mean, the maintenance is, is going to be a lot less because there's less things that can go wrong with it. And you have economies of scale. To your point, if I have if I had 10 different properties in, in in this area, 10 different houses, that's 10 different you know sets of cleaners they might go through. But if I have 10 tents on the same little plot of land, that's one cleaning team and one day's worth of work for them to kind of go through and turn over those units. So to your point earlier, the operational, you know, the economies of scale in that area become a lot better when you have uh, campgrounds or tents.
0: That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Typically, how big obviously I've been to state park campgrounds and they're massive a lot of times, but typically how big would be, you know, a campground that you'd be looking to develop or to, or to purchase.
1: Right now, probably, it's probably still in in this um, 10 to 15 acre range is what we, we, what we've been doing. So not, not too big, but just, just right enough. And I think there's um. It really is a kind of a sweet spot to play in because in this two and a half to $5 million range, it's, it's big enough to warrant out any non-experienced investor who might overpay for something, but it's not big enough for like an institutional firm to come buy out. Um, The what we've, so it's kind of like the sweet spot, but what we found is that the downside could be people who are looking at who, who cash or 1031 investors who are exiting the multifamily space may need somewhere to park their money and they might want to come over on the on this side but we don't we don't really foresee that because they kind of stay in their lane so to speak and they're not really interested in this alternative investment class because it's crazy I, I spent you know most of 2021 and 2022 at short-term rental events and conferences and stuff and then I go to these multifamilies in Chicago or in in my area and when you tell them that they, you do short-term rentals, I swear they look at you like you have two two heads or something because like, oh, what if, you know, what if stuff breaks inside and what if the cleaner doesn't show up and if they ban them and like all these sort of limiting beliefs and excuses. But I'll say that is I think in any portfolio, there should be some diversification. So just like in the stock market, you can diversify your assets with, with big, yeah. big cap uh, stocks. You have emerging market stocks. You can also, you know, diversify in real estate by different asset classes. And it's not a, um, no, there's, if you know one asset class particularly well, and that's all you do, if you're the self-storage guy, if you're the car wash guy, then go ahead and do that. I think investors who have made some money before real estate and then are getting into real estate are better off kind of diversifying their portfolio a little bit.
0: Yeah, totally agree because, you know, Things ebb and flow just, just like your short-term rental. Like you might have an off winter season and a hot summer season. So you're trying to look to get something that's probably hot in the winter season, like something that will actually produce income in the winter season. So even within its own investment class, it would be good to diversify. So totally on board with that. Great point.
1: Yeah. You can, I mean, you could have short-term rentals that have way different seasons, right? Mm -hmm. And, so, you know, if I didn't have any bookings in the winter on my lake houses, so I decided to invest in Miami where it's busy year round. And there are bookings in the winter because people want to go there when it's cold. Right. So it, it's, it's very, it's interesting. It's fascinating. And there's been a lot of, I mean, I was talking to somebody kind of kind of last week and he was like, yeah, I remember when I first got into real estate 20, 2009, 2010, ten." You know there ads on TV about flipping houses. Like this is how you're going to get rich in real estate: is flipping these houses. And you think within 10 years' time, it's grown to this where people are able to invest in properties out of state, sometimes not even seeing the property. Although I wouldn't recommend that. But the 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 the, the industry has changed so much within 10, 15 years, and I'm super excited to see what it would do 10, 15 years from now.
0: It it is crazy fascinating. I mean, flipping houses is still a thing, obviously, you know, the Burr method yeah, and all that. That's that's still a thing. And then you've got you mentioned mini storage and car washes and land flippers and short term rentals and campgrounds like and trailer or um mobile mobile home parks. It's um it's so many things. And so um it will be fascinating. What what will be really fascinating is to see how technology plays into a lot of this and how people start to raise money and how investment funds start to work. Um, There's already a lot of talk of, you know, the kind of the bigger funds buying full neighborhoods and make them into, into rentals, all Mm -hmm. of them into rentals, either short-term or long-term. So all of that is fascinating. Don't mean to, don't mean to get too far down that road, but um, you, you bring up a great point. So Ryan Bakey, you are like an investment coach, um, kind of a wealth, a wealth management coach, a CPA, short term rental investor, um, alternative investment investor. But at the end of it, it sounds like the purpose, like the purpose behind all this, like you're just trying to find different ways to help the common guy. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that safe to say?
1: Yeah, especially, you know, within my, within my day-to-day business outside of the investing, yeah, I'm just always trying to give as much value that I can at scale. You know, I can't help every single person in the world, but that's why I, you know, put together a, an Excel or a template or something. And I kind of share my knowledge and expertise with, with everybody. You know, I'm not, I, I can't work with everybody all the 5,500 people on my email list. I can't work with every single person, but I, I can try to provide that, that value at scale. And then typically people reach out with any follow-up or additional questions.
0: Yeah. That's awesome, man. Uh, you've, been, you've been super kind to lend us your time today. And um, if folks want to get in touch with you, what are the best ways to, to reach out to you and to find you?
1: Yeah, it'll just be all social media platforms, so Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at Learn Like a CPA. I also have a Facebook group called Tax Strategies for Real Estate Investors. There's over 6,200 real estate investors in that in that group asking questions daily. So those are the two best ways to get a hold of me.
0: That's awesome, Ryan. This has been great, man. You've been uh, super educational, and um, I think I think the listeners are going to love it. Awesome. Talk to you soon, guys. See ya. Thank you for listening and don't forget about the tools available to subscribers, the property manager self-assessment tool, my property upgrade walkthrough list, or the chance to feel like a millionaire for the weekend by checking out one of our own properties in person. It's all available on our website, www.goodendeavorstrshow.com.